0: Welcome to Value Added, the real estate podcast where we speak with the brightest minds
1: in the world of real estate who provide, create, and realize value in an ever-changing market. If you're a real estate professional delivering value to
0: your clients, an investor creating value not seen by others, or a busy professional who passively invests in real estate to grow the value of their hard-earned dollar, then you're in the right place and now your host Nick Walters
1: hey gang welcome to another episode of value added the real estate podcast on this week's episode we have Ron Reamer Ron is a home lending officer with Citibank he's been in the business since 2004 and has experienced many ups and downs in the residential lending space over that time, from the mid-2000s run-up to the Great Recession of 2008, as well as Hurricane Sandy, to the global pandemic known as coronavirus that we are currently experiencing. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Ron Reamer, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you for having me.
1: Tell me a little bit about you and your career and and kind of the path that it's taken leading up to this point where we are today.
0: Yeah, I've been in the business for 15 years, uh, seeing the highs, the lows, the peaks of the, of the valley of the low part. Starting in you know, we um, obviously had a much different marketplace uh, in banking right through to uh, the financial crisis. And prior to the financial crisis, most of the mortgage industry was done on, the, on a broker model. Uh, mortgage brokers were very prevalent in uh, being able to shop mortgages around for um, customers to all the different various banks. Uh, and there was a lot of value in, in doing that. And then post-financial crisis, um, a lot of banks closed. Banking changed um, going forward from there. Today, obviously, we've dealt with a lot of things since then. We've dealt with you know, 9-11. We've dealt with Hurricane Sandy. Now we're dealing with a pandemic. So we've seen a lot of things happen in the past 15 years or so. I think we know how to embrace these things and how to work through them. But you know, banks are all about risk appetite. Uh, lending is all about that. Um, so some lending environments will have appetites for um, more creative and riskier loans, and and other markets will not. It will be more conservative. So there there are different types of markets for different types of environments that you know we work through, and and so they sort of have to mesh together. So right now we're seeing a a rollback of a lot of exceptions, a lot of credit policies, and a tightening up of underwriting, and banks not willing to bend. Uh, where they may have been in the past.
1: Give us some similarities or some differences uh, between 2008, nine, ten, and the early stages of this recession. Yeah,
0: I mean the recession was it was a was a housing crisis. Uh, that was that was very different uh, in regards to you know clients at that time were over leveraged um, properties uh, financing with minimal down payments or none at all, actually getting money back from banks at closings and financing over 100%, not verifying income and assets, uh, doing stated income, stated asset loans, which a lot of banks provided. Um, And, you know, that caused a a ripple effect in the housing market uh, and a massive amount of foreclosures. Um, New York City was somewhat shielded from that because we do have a tremendous amount of co-op properties, uh, about 70%. Co-op boards, as you know, and most people in the business know, are more strict than the average bank um, in terms of down payment, credit score, actually verifying documents. Because of that, you know, there weren't a lot of foreclosures in the city, especially in co-op. So the city recovered very quickly from that, uh, Manhattan. Today, not as many foreclosures, but we could get there because clients are slowly, obviously, uh, losing their jobs and unemployment numbers are through the roof. The last financial crisis was more immediate. From the banking point of view, now it's a little more dragged out because we're seeing obviously the economy still not open. Uh, people are losing jobs left and right. Uh, you know, we obviously, you know, the service industry, restaurants, small businesses are a big part of our economy, especially in New York City. I mean, every mom and pop shop on the street in the retail spaces are going to be in trouble. Uh, so that's not good for us. Um, but that's 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 going to take a little, little bit of a longer effect to, to, be felt. I think so. The banking world is is uh, looking down the road to see how that's going to look, and it's not, it's not looking so great. Um, some clients are going to be fine, you know, if they apply for a mortgage. Some clients that apply today may not, you know, be able to qualify. They may not. There may be self-employed and not be able to show income for this year or last year.
1: Have you experienced any uh, different lending standards now versus 45 days ago?
0: Yeah. I mean, they're slowly making changes. Some of the d- different banks have have made changes. They've increased credit score requirements. They've decreased loan to values or increased down payment requirements. Um, so that is definitely tightened up and doesn't mean the banks aren't lending. You know, they're definitely lending, but they're you know, it's going to be tougher to get your maximum financing, you know, 90% or more on a jumbo loan, that is. Uh, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, all the government-backed loans, are you're still able to secure financing at, you know, similar levels. So you're seeing more rollbacks on jumbo portfolio money and the criteria that banks use to qualify a customer. Um, that's most of our market in Manhattan because of our price points. Um, but for most of the country, the guidelines are still very much there uh, in terms of credit score requirements.
1: Ron, compare and contrast the last two bull markets we've been in, the mid-2000s leading up to the Great Recession and this market we just concluded leading up to coronavirus.
0: I mean, it's it's completely night and day. Uh, 04, 05 was a market that was it was very, very different. The guidelines that were set up at that point in time were mainly geared towards helping, you know, self-employed borrowers that, uh, you know, were not showing a lot of income on their net income. They're showing their gross income, and obviously, self-employed borrowers have their advantages to write off and and uh, pay less in income taxes by showing a, a different net income. And the products then were more, you know, if you had good credit. Uh, credit being above 720, um, the the banks did not require income and asset verification in terms of paper documents, tax returns, and bank statements. Um, so there were a lot of standards that were very different um, in terms of how to secure a mortgage. Uh, and it was, it was actually good that we went through that because the policies and procedures that are in place today needed to be in place and should have been in place before that. Uh, to safeguard the industry and, and the economy because that was an economic recession because of the housing market. Uh, so that's something that I think the the world would like to avoid again. And it's nice to have those safeguards in place today where, you know, banks know if you, you know, have an inquiry in your credit, they, they're going to ask you if you establish new debt. They're going to know if you apply with another lender, they're going to know if you're shopping for a loan, they're going to know if you applied for forbearance, they're going to, they're going to know those things. And I mean, even today I have clients that come in that are self-employed and say, well, I have, you know, enough equity in my home, you know, why do I need to verify income? You know, why can't I just get a loan because I have 50% equity in my home? And those are like examples of products that used to be available before the recession that are today. It's all about showing uh, the customer's ability to repay uh, and to carry the payment uh, and afford the payment. So that way the banks know that you're going to continue making that payment um and that's what it's all about today is 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 income to debt ratio or dti as we refer to it that's income ratio uh, and making sure they can meet the uh, lending standards of 43 percent or less to be a qualified mortgage um and uh and that's pretty much it that's the way the standards have been for the the last i guess 12 years since 2008. ron in the
1: context of business what does value mean to you?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, value is just, it's, it's a simple thing. It's, it's something I, you know, have always demonstrated is, is just responsiveness. It's, it's amazing to me that, you know, just what clients need and expect are, are simple things. And I think a lot of people in our business or even on your side or my side, real estate or, or on mortgage, um, you know, just don't respond to clients and don't give proper expectations. And, you know, it's the old saying, don't over-promise and under-deliver. It's a simple thing. Uh, a customer calls you for a mortgage, they're applying for a good or service that they expect a certain, um, you know, expectation on And when, what you're going to deliver, what's the rate, what's the documents, how long is it going to take? And I think it's just telling them the right thing and having a normal conversation. Um, and I think if you do that and you respond and you're on top of your emails and you're and your phone and, and calling people back it's 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 that simple um clients appreciate that and when you do that for them they'll refer you to their friends and family uh and you'll get more business out of it so i think that's to me that's value i know it sounds simple uh and you know old fashioned or old school um but those are the things that that work they've always worked and then from there it's obviously who you work for right so with the bank that you work for is going to offer different products and and rates to different clients and that may work or may not work. And I think it's important that the deals you do take in, you make sure it can work for the bank that you represent. Uh, And that goes along with expectations.
1: Take us through a past deal where significant value was provided to get it across the finish line.
0: Probably, you know, my best one was last summer. I mean, there was a few of them last summer we had uh, some big changes in the mansion tax laws going into effect in New York City. Uh, I believe it went into effect at the end of June, um, and it started July 1st. So there was a massive push uh, from clients to close on properties before that took effect, and um, so across the board, it was one percent. Uh, today, it's it's it changes if it's two million, three million, and above. It's different percentages of mansion tax. So I had a transaction that was rather large, in um, the double digit digits uh, above ten million. Um, so you know the mansion tax ramifications of that deal were uh, also rather rather large if the deal didn't take place and. Um, was the same thing. It was expectations, gathering documents, you know, sort of pre-flighting the request with the bank and the credit committee of the bank and running it by them and not assuming that it will get done and saying, here's the customer. This is what they're looking to apply for. This is what they're looking to secure. Can we do this before they sign a contract? And we do a lot of that, you know, pre-flighting and due diligence up front. So that way, when the client does sign a contract, we can actually close. Um, and that's a deal we turned around very quickly and we closed from start to finish on a signed contract in in a couple of weeks, um, which is very hard to do on a large deal uh, on, let alone any deal. Um, so that, that was you know, sort of the wins you know, from that market that saves the client hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands on closing costs on the mansion tax. Uh, and if he didn't have that savings, he wouldn't have bought the apartment. So the selling broker had a sale and the listing and the buyer side broker obviously had a transaction, and they both happened to be represented by Douglas Solomon, uh, which was also a nice little perk, um, since I did a lot of business with them and and yourself. And uh, those are nice little wins to have.
1: We're going to conclude this episode with the hard-hitting questions. These are a series of questions that we ask every listener. What is your why?
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's not all about uh commission um that's part of it but you know for me there has to be sort of a driving force behind wanting to work so hard every single day no matter what which is what i'm about and at the end of the day you know sometimes you know you'll get a call from a customer i got one last week they called me about a refi didn't make sense didn't have enough of the savings on the rate and they just wanted to spend a few minutes with me just to thank me for Walking them through the process, buying a home that was a fixer upper that they're able to put some money in and they flipped it and sold it and made a few hundred thousand dollars, and they're telling me, and it's never it doesn't happen all the time, especially on my side of the business. They said to me, like, we wouldn't have bought this home or made this money if it wasn't for you, and that's what it's about. You know, you're getting people into homes. You know, you're not just giving them mortgages. You're you're letting them own a home. They're going to have a family. They're going to have kids and you're a part of that sort of dream of happening, that American dream, so to speak, that you get them into a home. And that's, it has to be about that. There has to be some sort of, uh, you know, sort of emotion behind the transaction, not just numbers and, and paperwork. So that, that it's nice to hear that from clients every every once in a while.
1: Besides your alarm clock, what gets you out of bed every morning?
0: My two-year-old. <laughs> That's that's you know, definitely uh, her and obviously making sure that I, I do what I can to provide for my family.
1: What is the last book you read which significantly impacted your life?
0: Uh, I'm not the biggest book reader, to be honest. New York Times, New York Post, CNBC on TV, watching the stock market, you know, seeing what's going on in the world. You know, watching the markets is important to me. It's not just watching what's going on with mortgage rates. It's what's going on in the economy because what happens in the economy dictates what happens to mortgage rates. Uh, So, uh, you know, I read mostly on articles and seeing what's going on on CNN, CNN Money, New York Times, uh, Bloomberg, uh, things like that. Um, Haven't dove into a book in quite some time, to be honest.
1: How do you like to blow off steam?
0: Uh, I do like to get my runs in when I can. Uh, I like to go for runs uh, in Central Park. I haven't had time. Uh, uh, on top of having a two-year-old, also have a pregnant wife, so I have to be mindful. I also need to help her out um, so she can also rest. So, you know, go, right now I'm going for strolls around uh, 9 o'clock at night with my daughter, and that's my new thing. I'm putting her to bed outside on the quiet streets of Manhattan that we have uh, in this time of day so that's where i get to sort of mentally uh adjust what we did for the day and and wake up and do it all over again
1: (laughs) how do you like to pay it forward
0: helping clients helping uh my colleagues grow and i don't think i've been a big ego guy in my life so you know people call me you know pick my brain about this that or the other and you know charitable organizations you know when we can um obviously those are all important i've seen a lot of those things happen in my family and different organizations to contribute to. So, uh, trying to take, uh, trying not to take things for granted in life.
1: How can our listeners learn a little bit more about you?
0: Cell phone number, text me, call me anytime. They can social media, uh, search me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, um, pretty accessible, pretty responsive. As I said, that's important to me. Um, and, uh, and if they want to contact me, they'll find me.
1: Ron Reamer, that's a wrap. Thanks for adding your value today.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a rating and a review, which will help us introduce the podcast to other listeners. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which will give you access to other episodes you may have missed. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week.